Hello and welcome to another episode of the Richard Haynes Real Estate Show. I'm your host of the podcast, Richard Haynes, broker of Manhattan Pacific Realty, where we service the greater Los Angeles area, where we specialize in the South Bay, Hermosa Beach, Manhattan Beach, Redondo Beach, and the Palace Verdes Peninsula. It is December 16th, 2021. We are rolling on our December podcast. This is our third podcast of December, making up for lost time of an absence for the past two months. You guys, we were crazy to close out the year. And as we roll into the holidays and real estate starts to shut down for a little bit, I'm catching up on sharing a bunch of information with you all. This week, I'm going to be covering some legislative news from the state of California. It's big news. It was a hot topic a couple months ago. People emailed me, called me, and texted me going, is this going to change everything in real estate? It reminded me of when ADU laws were passed a few years ago. The first iteration, which was kind of much ado about nothing, and then a second iteration which was going to forward ADUs in a big way. ADUs have become a force in the real estate market. Are they the biggest trending topic in in residential real estate in the state and in the South Bay? No, but they do make an impact. SB9 and SB10 will make a very small impact, but I want to talk about them first and how they will truly impact our South Bay markets here. So, Let's get into both. I'm going to start with the hottest one, SB9. So SB9, Senate Bill 9, they all have you know a new name. They're now laws. They're not Senate bills. But because so many Senate bills get proposed, talked about, don't get voted f- uh, through and signed by the governor, people tend to refer to a lot of bills just as their, their SB whatever number. I'm still referring to SB9. I'll look up whatever the law passed is called. But I'm going to start with SB9. Before I do, though, I want to put out some qualifications, and oftentimes I should be doing this with every podcast of, hey, consult with your realtor, consult with your CPA, consult with your financial advisor, your general contractor, blah, blah, blah. You need to consult with experts. This one for sure is one of those items because SB9 and SB10 are so new and so specific, they're going to be lawsuits, they're going to be cities that are not up to speed, there's going to be contractors not up to speed, architects are still learning about them, real estate attorneys are still learning about them. So whenever you find a property with an opportunity or you want to learn more about a property you already own or how the laws may impact areas you're trying to purchase a home in, you really need to solicit the advice from a qualified and licensed local architect and a qualified and licensed practiced real estate attorney because it's going to take a lot of legal know-how and a lot of state and city know-how within building codes and zoning laws. So please, these are going to be guidelines for you that you need to explore more with an architect and real estate attorney. For myself personally, I may know more than the average realtor or the average buyer or the average seller, but you better believe if I'm buying a property that I'm going to implement SB9 or SB10 to, et cetera, et cetera, I'm calling my trusted architect and my trusted real estate attorney in my due diligence phase to make sure I understand 
everything fully and all the risks and what isn't understood fully until there's a few more lawsuits or refining of the law or city guidelines, et cetera. So enough about that. Um, make sure to consult with professionals and do your proper due diligence. So SB9, SB9 recently passed a couple of months ago. What is SB9 all about? Well, if you've read any articles or heard any inklings about it, in a nutshell, SB9 makes it legal to split an R1 lot, R1, Residence 1, lots generally reserved for single-family homes. You can split that lot and develop two units on what used to be reserved for only one unit. That is now state law superseding all laws. If you're in Palos Verdes or Manhattan Beach and you're in a single-family home zoned area, R1 area, the new state law supersedes and says, if you fit the guidelines, you can subdivide the lot and have two homes and sell them off separately. People are talking about or making a little bit more sensational comments of going, now we can have four units on one lot. Well, that's a yes and a no. Technically, yes, four units can now be on an R1 lot. However, SB9 doesn't do that. What SB9 does is it allows for you to subdivide the lot and put two homes on an R1 lot. What would allow you to have up to four units is if you were to implement the ADU laws that we have here and you make a garage a junior ADU or if there's room for a detached garage and you make that an ADU, you can build ADUs which would in theory make four units. That's not the spirit of this law or maybe it is, but really this is about doing two units and then you could implement the past ADU laws to get four units. Okay, whether or not that will happen, that depends on the property owner and basically economics driving those those items. So there are loads of restrictions on SB9 and allowing for a lot split. I'm going to go over a few highlights. These are just highlights. It doesn't mean there are more restrictions or that you can get around certain restrictions. I'm going to go over the highlights and then how pro-density cities and anti-density cities may react to these restrictions and use them to their advantage. So here are four highlights with SB9. The law allows for an urban lot split. Now, the word is urban lot split. Basically, the property must fall in an urbanized area or urban cluster, okay? So they define urban areas and urban clusters. Generally, the South Bay would fall into an urbanized area or an urban cluster. Number two, properties are not eligible if they are in prime farmland, wetlands, high fire zones, historic districts, or 100-year floodplains. So... Not a lot of farmland throughout the South Bay, maybe a few old farms in Lomita, Palos Verdes, not really an effect here, but there are a few pieces of language in here like high fire zone or a historic district or a hundred year floodplain that could apply to certain areas. Restriction number three, lot splits are prohibited if they affect rent restricted housing 
or a unit that has an Ellis Act eviction within the past 15 years. So if a house is being rent restricted, basically rent control or affordable housing, and someone were to get rid of that housing for a lot split, that is prohibited. In addition to, if you're not familiar with the Ellis Act, the Ellis Act is what people use to develop new developments on properties with affordable housing. So if you were to evict uh, rent-controlled renters or affordable housing by invoking the Ellis Act because you're building a brand new building, if you were to do a lot split because of that, it would be prohibited or you wouldn't be allowed to do a lot split if you had used the Ellis Act or are using the Ellis Act within the past 15 years. And finally, number four, also prohibited, is anything that requires demolition of more than 25% of existing structures unless the local city or county allows for more. So essentially, if you've got a house that's built in front of the lot and there's a huge backyard but there's no access to the backyard because your garage is in front and the house is built to the width of the lot, they're saying you can only demolish 25% of that existing building. So you got to demolish 25% and then make egress into the back. I'm giving, I'm probably giving you too big of an example, but basically if you do more than 25%, that can be limited by local jurisdictions where they could have no demolition requirement and say you could demolish 100% of the property, but it is it is allowable to limit it to 25% demolition, okay? So those four items right there, it gets very, very confusing, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. A pro-density city, like the city of uh, Los Angeles, might allow for greater demolition than 25%. But in the city of Los Angeles, you have to navigate rent control laws and Ellis Act rules, along with the fact that there may be some high fire zones in in city of LA up in the hills. And oh, by the way, there are definitely going to be historic districts in Los Angeles. And since LA has some low-lying areas, probably some 100-year floodplains. So it gets tricky. In an anti-density city like the city of Rolling Hills behind the gates on top of the hills, three-acre properties, lots of trees, land, they may claim that they are not urban or that they could be used as farmland. And certainly much of the hill, PV Hill, sits in high fire zone areas. They can claim fire zones and just completely rule that out. So they're going to be very much motivated to say no more demolition beyond 25%. We're in a high fire zone. We could be valuable farmland down the road, et cetera, et cetera. So these restrictions make it very difficult, and you have to navigate them with a very sharp architect, real estate attorney, and obviously you have to be very smart on your due diligence and how a property might be able to navigate these restrictions. So really, this is such a new law, you have to expect lawsuits because most cities won't comply, so you'll have to sue them. You also may expect lawsuits for more clarity or negotiations between cities and property owners for anyone that wants to execute on SB9. To further make this more complicated... SB 9 requires that all owners doing a lot split need to sign an affidavit stating that they intend to occupy one of the housing units of the lot split as their principal residence for a minimum of three years. 
So that's going to throw out so many different people who would execute on this because you essentially have to be the owner and owner-occupy these types of properties. This reminds me of the old ADU laws where they allowed for ADUs to be built, but it ne- you needed to be owner-occupied. And when very few ADUs were being built, they then passed a subsequent law a couple years later that allowed for investors to do this. I think the state is taking a similar angle where they want to see how a few brave owner-occupiers or professional investors, how they use it on the properties they own, and then potentially further refine the law in something that's passed a few years later to allow for this to ramp up faster and also get around things that cities may do to to, uh, limit them and to make it happen where more lot splits are done responsibly. That's my guess of the city's angle or the state's angle on SB9. But basically what you have to look at this as, unless one, I'm going to read this from my blog post, unless one intends to scrape their entire lot in the South Bay and be an owner-occupant for three years, this law will not have much use for South Bay real estate holders. The 25% demolition restriction is going to be tough to get around, and it is likely that our local South Bay cities will do whatever they can to limit the impacts of SB9. So, you know, there are savvy owners that are going to be able to make this happen, but I expect with the restrictions specifically to the South Bay, you are going to be see very, 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 very light usage of SB9 and maybe one, two, even three SB9s are actually executed on in the next few years because Palos Verdes may be able to limit it due to high fire zones. The lots are already so dense by the beach, there's probably no room to make a lot split happen without demoing more than 25%. This passage of SB9 is a non-event for our South Bay cities. It's interesting. We'll see a couple projects. We'll learn a lot. There could be a lot of value creation. There could be none. There could be upset residents. There could be happy residents. It's just really going to be a non-issue. People freaked out about it during its passage a couple months ago. No one is talking about it now two months later. It's a non-event. It will become more of an event when they refine the law in a couple of years, if they do at all. Moving on to Senate Bill number 10. The intention of Senate Bill number 10 is to give local governments tools to increase density in transit-rich areas or urban infill sites. It allows for governments to easily rezone any property for up to 10 units per parcel. So what's interesting about this one is, is it allows cities to implement SB 10 or not implement it. So it is a law passed on by the state, but unlike SB 9, where everyone is forced to comply with the law, SB 10 is an optional law that cities can choose to opt in or opt out. So what does it take to qualify for this? Again, transit-rich area is defined as a parcel being within one half mile of a major transit stop or qualifying bus corridor. And an urban infill site has various qualifications. I'll give you three highlights. A parcel located in a city that is an urban area, urban cluster, per the U.S. Census Bureau. Number two, a parcel in an unincorporated area within the boundaries of an urban cluster. Number three, a parcel where 7% of the perimeter had developments with urban usage. So it's only optional. Again, 
a pro-density city like LA may take an R1 lot that's a corner lot by a light rail or a rapid bus stop or one of our subway stations in downtown, et cetera, et cetera. And they will say, hey, 10 units, go, add more housing, as opposed to having it limited to an R1 and having to go through a rezoning effort that has to go to LA City Council, which would just be crazy to get done. Now they can just, with the stroke of a pen, any R1 lot, the city can say yay or nay, 10 units, as long as it meets certain requirements. With an anti-density city, Hey, in Palos Verdes Estates, there's lots of bus stops along Palos Verdes Drive. Those are all R1 lots for the most parts uh, surrounding those bus stops. Are they going to allow for a 10-unit development where Palos Verdes Estates has really no apartment buildings outside of Malaga Cove or Lanada Bay's corridors on PV Drive North and PV Drive West, they're not going to do it. They're going to opt out. So again, even more of a non-event for the South Bay, and there just simply isn't enough room in the beach cities for them to approve something like that. Maybe a few areas in Manhattan, Hermosa Redondo on PCH, but generally even density projects that made a lot of sense in these cities have been shot down by residents, especially Redondo Beach being anti-density. I'm not making a comment on whether it's good or bad, but it's just unlikely they'll ever use SB10 unless it's very soundly supported by everyone. So in a nutshell, SB9 is very interesting with a lot split. If you are a savvy buyer, there are going to be properties, especially in PV or larger lots in Redondo, Manhattan Beach, not a lot of large lots in Hermosa Beach, where you can execute on this. But you've got to understand the laws. You've got to understand the city's temperature to these laws. Your architect's got to know things backwards and forwards. You've got to have a great real estate attorney. And generally, you're taking a lot of risk to try and pull one of these things off. But if you've got a great lot where you can do it cost effectively and you're getting a property where you're paying for one house or land value that people think you can only put one house on and all of a sudden you can put two homes on it and do it in a great cost-effective manner that makes economic sense, there's going to be some interesting plays with SB9. I just don't expect it to happen over and over again because, again, you have to be an owner-occupant for three years. That's going to throw out a lot of people. And then how many of, of those people want to be the guinea pig of this and potentially have to go through lawsuits or fight the city for a very long time? It's just really going to be a non-event, but I'm excited to see how many people do this. If you go back on this podcast, can you count how many times I said non-event? Gemini, forgive me, but it is a non-event, you guys, both of them, okay? Goodness. So SB9, SB10, really cool. Look into them more. If you're fired up about it, hire a great architect, but no one's talking about it anymore. It's not a big deal. It's not going to affect your property values. I had some people reach out to me and go, is this going to bring you know down the value of my Hollywood Riviera home or my beautiful big lot in Palos Verdes estates that are now all going to be subdivided? I'm like, no, you guys, calm down. No one's talking about it anymore two months later, but it will be interesting to follow and see how other cities adopt it and see the brave souls around here who do it. So there you go. That's the podcast for December 16th. I'm going to come back at you with another one next week. 
It's the December of podcasts. You guys, thank you always for listening to the Richard Haynes Real Estate Show. Be sure to read the written weekly blog that we have going. I'm going to bring you hopefully more great content. We will see you next week. Hope you are having a happy holidays. Take care.